Welcome to everyone who's listening online today. My name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at LifePoint in Westerville. Grateful to have you listening in. Uh, as you know, if you've been following along in our sermon series labels, uh, we have encouraged the entire church body uh, to read the book of Luke uh, during the month of May. Uh, and during the month of June, we've been praying at 10.02 every day, uh, the same prayer that Jesus encouraged his followers to pray, that uh, pray that uh, the you know, workers would be risen up out of the church uh, to be reaching the fields who are ripe for harvest. So we've been praying that at 10.02 every day. Now, for the remainder of the series, we're going to talk about what it means to really share the truth of God with others, that we read, we pray, we share our lives, that we share the gospel with others. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about um, so I just want to encourage you to, to continue to read in the book of Luke and pray through 1002 and pray through the, the book of Luke as we learn and, and kind of focus on how to share uh, the truth together. Um, I was thinking about how in a few weeks, uh, my wife and I, Tammy, will be celebrating our 25th year anniversary uh, and how I've learned so much uh, about life and about my relationship with God through my relationship with Tammy. Uh, there's been so much I've learned. But there's one thing I would say was my greatest surprise, and I learned it pretty early uh, in our marriage. We dated really on and off for about three years prior to getting married. Uh, and then we were married a couple years, and, and we were struggling. We were struggling to connect, and we just uh, were, felt like we were hitting up against a brick wall. And one day she says to me, she says, you know, Ed, you, you love me, but I don't feel like you love me. And I remember thinking, how is that possible? That uh, you know that I love you, you know that, that, that I'm trying to love you, but, but you don't feel that love. I felt like I was missing part of her heart. I didn't get it. Well, anyway, we had some people in our lives that we could go to. Uh, there was particularly this woman who was super wise, had been married for, for decades, and we went to her and she gave us some advice. And she encouraged us to read a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman was a, uh, a marriage counselor for 20-some years uh, and wrote this book where he was kind of culminating all of his research, things he'd learned uh, about counseling couples. And his, his book, the premise of the whole book is that people perceive love differently. There are love languages, and there are five of them. There are words of affirmation, touch, acts of service, gifts, and quality time. All of those are like different languages that where people perceive love differently. They're all important, but typically people have one or two that are really high or much higher than the others. We read the book, and here's what we come to realize. Tammy is quality time all the way. That is, that is her love language. The way she perceives it, the way she understands love really comes down to quality time. For me, I'm the opposite. I am words of affirmation and touch. Our love languages are on the opposite end of the spectrum. And what I realize is that for her to really be, per, you know, perceive my love, she needs to see me, you know, loving her with quality time. I bring that up because I was showering her with words of affirmation and touch. And it was like, you know, BB's on a brick wall. And she needed love a different way. We were married a couple years at that point. We had known each other and dated on and off beforehand. And we knew each other a long time. And I was missing part of her heart interesting, transformed our marriage. I bring it up. We're in this series, like I said, called Labels, where we're looking at Jesus' interaction with people through the book of Luke, and he interacted with a lot of people who were on the fringes, people who were most likely to be labeled by society. And what we're saying every week is that the gospel calls us to live a life above labels. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture today, uh, which really is a father and two sons. And both sons have really opposite labels. 
But interestingly enough, here's what you learn as we look at the story, is that the two sons, even though they were in great proximity to their father, completely missed their father's heart. And I was thinking about how it's also true that we could be uh, in relationship with God. We could be trying to figure out who God is and miss his heart. We would com- you know, it would completely change our relationship with God to have a, a closeness to understand what God's heart is all about. But sometimes we miss that. And as a result, that's what causes a lot of uh, struggles in relationship with God, struggles in our relationship with our, uh, uh, you know, with our faith that we can sometimes feel like it just turns into an obligatory thing. Stale, stagnant faith comes when we miss the heart of God. So what we're going to look at today is this story of a father and two sons and how, uh, you know, the Lord is trying to explain the heart of God to all the people and to you and I even today. Let's take a second and pray and let's dig in. Father, I pray that you would use the scripture to help us understand uh, your heart, that you would help us uh, grow in our faith because we understand your heart. Lord, teach us today through your word. We ask that in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 15. Uh, The first thing I want to share with you is this, is if we're going to understand the heart of God, and I think everyone needs that, no matter where you're at in your journey with God, we need to know the heart of God. Otherwise, it's going to lead us in the wrong direction in our faith. The first thing we need to understand is that sometimes it feels like we are born to run. The the context of the passage uh, in Luke 15 is that understand that Jesus has already become a popular figure in Israel. So people, crowds are flocking to him. He's been doing miracles and healings and he's been, uh, you know, feeding people, you know, out of small lunches and, uh, you know, ma- multiplying that out. He's, he's been teaching, he's been calling out the religious elites. People are flocking to him. And in this particular passage in, in Luke 15, one and two, it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So this highlights the context. The crowd is coming, and there are two different sets of people in the crowd. There are the religious elites and the rebellious ones. And the religious elites, the Pharisees and scribes, are grumbling, saying Jesus is eating with these people, meaning he's in fellowship with these these sinners, these these rebels, these people who have turned away from God. And they're, they're complaining. And so then Jesus tells three stories really directed at both groups, but particularly at the religious crowd. And the three stories all explain the heart of God. The first story is the story of the hundred sheep, that there's a a shepherd, he has a hundred sheep, and one of the sheep wanders away. And the shepherd leaves the 99 to go get the one. And when he finds it, he brings it home and they all celebrate. The second parable is a a parable of a lost coin. this, This owner has 10 coins. This woman, uh, this might represent all of her wealth and what would become a dowry or possibly the the chance to be married someday. She loses one of the coins in the house and she searches the whole house. And when she finds the coin, there's a celebration. And then he leads into this third story. Starting out in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says this. He said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to the father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... 
And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise. I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he starts out the parable and he's talking about this man who has two sons. Now understand in that culture, this man was a wealthy guy because he had land, he had property, he had workers, he had servants, he had, he had you know, animals, and he has two sons. Now the oldest son, as per uh, that culture, would have received a double inheritance, a double portion of the inheritance. Because there's two sons, it would have been divided into thirds. The older son would have had two thirds and the younger son would have had one third. The younger son is going to the dad and saying, I want my one-third inheritance now. Now, understand, this would have been truly offensive in that culture. This was offensive. And they were in a shame-based culture. So to do something like this would have been shameful. He, in essence, was going up to his dad and saying, Dad, I don't want to do it your way. I don't want to live life the way you want to live it. I wish I had my inheritance now so I could go and live the life I've always dreamed of. In essence, Dad, I wish you were dead now. That's what he did. The crazy part of the story is the dad actually does it. He would have gone through the process of selling off a third of his property in order to give the son his inheritance. He does it. The son goes away and does exactly what you think he would do, right? Uh, he goes out and parties it up, lives a reckless life. He loses all his money. Of course, you know, that's how it sometimes is. People make really bad decisions when they have money too fast that they didn't earn. And that's exactly what he did. He loses it all. Now he's in dire straits. A famine has hit the, the land. He's trying to get work. And the best work he can find is to be serving pigs in a field, which would have been truly offensive to the Jewish people because they had nothing to do with pigs. And yet here he is, he's serving pigs food and he's longing to eat their food because he's so hungry. And he comes to his senses. He realizes, I need to go back to my dad. Obviously, I can't be his son anymore. I've ruined that. But maybe I could just be a worker in the field. And so he gets up, he rehearses his speech, and he's off to see his dad. Now, think about this for a second. What would cause the son to do that? What would make the son decide, dad, I don't want you. I don't want your life. I wish you were dead now. I want your stuff. This is the heart of a rebel. A rebel who wants to do it their way. I don't want your values. I want to do it my way. I want to live the life that I'm in control of. I want it my way. I want to experience life. You got to understand, in this crowd setting, this would have been the first time maybe that the Pharisees and the religious elites would have agreed with Jesus. They would have been saying, yes, you tell those rebellious people over there, those sinners, those tax collectors, those prostitutes, those sinners, you tell them, Jesus, this, this is offensive they have turned away from God. You tell them. That's what would have been going on in their minds because they're finally going, yes, Jesus, you tell them. The question is, what causes that? You know, in, in the mid-70s, Bruce Springsteen wrote a song and named the album Born to Run. And it became kind of a you know, hit for him. And later in the early 80s when MTV became a thing, uh, they re-released his live footage and put it into a video and made uh, Born to Run into a video, and it got more airplay and became even more popular. Uh, and I, that's where I learned of Born to Run. The song is kind of an anthem, the anthem of this young guy who's just, he can't wait to get to the open field. Like, he just can't wait for the open road and to experience life, the freedom of life. And he wants his girlfriend, Wendy, to come with him and, you know, experience life. And he's telling her, you know, 
I want to know if love is real. I want to experience this. Come with me. We were born to run. And this anthem song really highlights something that's true of many of us. And sometimes, sometimes maybe all of us feel that, that we're born to run. We're going to run away from the things that, of God. We want to experience life our way. We won't want anyone telling us how to live or what to do. Not everyone, but sometimes. Sometimes we feel that. We feel like that's exactly why we were born, is to, to be, you know, take life by the horns, get all that we can, drink it all in. This is the problem with that, is it only works until it breaks. It only works until it breaks. You see it in the story with this guy. He, he ran away from his father and he lived his life a certain way. And when it broke, that's when he realized he had made a huge mistake. And isn't it true? Isn't it true that those times in your life when you have the biggest regrets, you look back and you, and you walk backwards and you look at the decisions you've made and you realize the decisions you made were all born out of this passionate desire that you had? They kind of clouded your, your rationale and you made decisions that now you would look back and go, man, I should have never been in that relationship. I should have never written that check. I should have never said that. I should have never you know, left that situation. I should have never done those things. Those things happen. Life breaks sometimes when we literally run away from the things of God. But there's something we need to look at here. And this is the most important part, I believe, of this entire text. And, and this is why I love Luke 15. This is the thing. There's one thing we cannot afford to miss. Here's what happens next. Remember, the son is going to come back. He's going to come back to his dad. He's got a speech in his mind. He's rehearsing. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This part of the passage is outrageous to the people in the crowd. Because on one hand, the religious elites are watching and saying, this is ridiculous. This is outrageous. No father would do this. And to the, to the rebellious crowd that are there that are listening to the story, they would have said, this isn't fair either, right? No one expects this. You know what they should have expected? The son comes back. The father, you know, is not waiting and running to him. The father is sitting back and saying, okay, all right, you're going to pay it off. You know, a third of the inheritance, you're going to work it off and then we'll bring you into the house. That's what should have happened. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. The father's on the lookout. The father maybe is waiting. You just get this image that he's waiting every day, kind of looking out, waiting. So when he sees in the distance the son, he's like, that, that might be him. And he runs, which would have been an embarrassment to a, to a man, to a, an adult male in that culture. He's running to the son. And he finds him and, you know, instead of letting the son go through his speech, he's like, enough of that. Bring the robe, the robe. He's, he's putting his identity back on him. You're a son. Bring the ring. You are a son in the family. This is your identity. Not, not all of these things that you've done. You're here and you are my son. Bring the fattened calf. Look, people in that culture didn't eat a lot of meat. This was a celebration he was giving up something very valuable to celebrate the son coming back. This makes no sense. And yet, 
Jesus is explaining the heart of the Father. In each story where there was a lost sheep, he left the 99 to go get him. He, he lost the coin. He went after the coin to look, like, all-out search to find the coin. And in this case, he wants his son. He's looking for his son. And when he has the thing that he values most back, he celebrates. This is the heart of God, looking for the one who's turned away. I think if you miss this, if you miss the heart of God, you miss everything. Let me explain. I, I had a car back in, uh, you know, it's like probably 10 years ago. I bought this car. It was a cheap car at the time. Uh, you know, my buddy had it, and my buddy has kind of the heart of a mechanic, so I knew the engine was good. The car on the outside, though, it was terrible. It was like a 2004 Pontiac Sunfire. Uh, here's a picture of a Sunfire. Is, is usually, you know, a nice car. This car on the outside, the exterior was beat. It looked like it had run into a hailstorm uh, and a rust cloud, uh, and, you know, and it just was beat up. But the engine ran really good. So I bought the car for like 1500 bucks, which was super cheap. And it was just something I could you know, go back and forth to work. You know. So I bought the car. Um, now, the problem is when you buy an older car, sometimes things break down. And the power steering broke down and was out. So I had to call my mechanic. My mechanic was out. So I went to a different mechanic. And I went there and had them fix the power steering. And they fixed it. They replaced the power steering pump or little motor or whatever it was. And, and they fixed the power steering. I'm driving down the road. Power steering works great. I pull up to a red light, and when I get to the red light, uh, I notice the, it feels like the car's trying to go forward, even though I'm not, I don't have my foot on the gas, and I have my foot on the brake, and it feels like the car's trying to go forward, and I'm standing on the brake, like, what the heck? Is there something wrong with my brakes? Then the light turns green, I make a left onto this road, it's kind of a, a 40, 45 mile per hour road, and I'm, I'm going, I, I barely give it any gas, and the car is just lunging forward. And it just keeps accelerating and accelerating. It sounds like my engine is like the pedal to the metal. I mean, it's just going. And I, I realize I'm not touching the gas, and it is just accelerating. So I'm, I start to panic, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to lose control of this car. I see a turn come up where I could turn in and maybe park, and I kind of look like, through the corner, I make a left, I pull into a parking lot, and I jam the car up in the park, and the engine just winds up, and I just turn the car off really fast. I'm like, what was that? So I called AAA. I said, hey, man, we need to get this back to my mechanic. Like something happened here. So they send out a tow truck. The tow truck driver comes, and he gets out of the car, and he goes, hey, man, what happened? So I explained about the power steering, how it was fixed, and how this, you know, uh, the, the winding of the engine. And I felt like I was going to lose control of the car. And uh, he opens it up. He goes, let me see. He opens up the hood. He looks underneath. And he goes, well, here's your problem right here. I said, what's the problem? He goes, when they took, you know, out your little part for the power steering, they had to disconnect the throttle cable. He goes, look. So I come over, and I don't even know what I'm looking at, but he shows me the cable, and the cable is disconnected. The throttle cable is disconnected about a quarter of an inch from where it's supposed to be. He goes, that's your whole problem. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. He connects it, and he goes, you're going to be fine now. And you know what? He was right. I had no problem after that point. There was no problem with the car. I mean, but a quarter-inch disconnect of a throttle cable almost cost me my life. You see that? Here's the point. If you miss the heart of God, you miss everything. God's heart is not like ours. He has an incredible grace and mercy in him. He's longing for anyone who would turn to him. If anyone has the humility to come to their senses and turn to him, no matter where they've been, no matter how much they've done, if they're willing to you know, humble themselves and turn to him, his grace and mercy is beyond anything we can imagine. 
On top of that, his heart to celebrate when someone returns is the joy, it's the overflow of who he is. It's the joyous heart of the love and mercy and grace of God. Does he believe in law? Absolutely. He absolutely does not tolerate sin. But for anyone who would turn to him, he would give them his grace and mercy. And that is the heart of God. And here's what happens if you miss out. And he's talking directly to these religious elites who are pointing at these rebellious sinners and going, how does Jesus eat with them? And he's saying, this is the heart of God. He loves them. And if you miss out on that, do you know what you become? You become the Pharisees. You become the religious elites who care more about religion and law than you care about the heart of God. You miss it. And here's the thing. The religious elites were doing the right things. They had the right behaviors. They had the right morals. They didn't have the heart of God. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, but thank God that's not me, right? Thank God I'm not a Pharisee. But here's the thing. If you miss out on the heart of God, let me tell you what happens. You start to judge other people. You might be growing in behavior, like changing behaviors, but sometimes you you easily look down on other people. Now your behaviors become this obligatory checklist of things that you know you're supposed to do. And sometimes even Bible reading is just something you check or praying is just something you check. Like you're not really concerned with connecting to God as much as you are just making sure your boxes are checked. And here's the other thing. On top of that, you stop having any joy of reaching other people. A passionless, obligatory faith. Let me tell you what happens if you, if you become a church person with a Pharisee heart. You stop growing even by hearing the sermons. You're more interested in hearing something new. Like, what's a new thing I can hear? Rather than learning to be obedient to what God has given you. Learning to listen for how the Word of God inspires His Holy Spirit in your life to prompt you and teach you and train you. And instead of listening for that, we, we just want to hear something new. The Pharisee heart, the religious heart, misses out on the heart of God. And we stop worrying about connecting to the heart of God. And more importantly, we just... We want to behave a certain way because that's what we believe is right. Not that there's wrong with that. You know, there's wrong with being, having good behavior. But all of that without the heart of God, it's just pride. So then what do you do? Look, something I've learned even from this passage, what I've learned in life is that you can be religious and lost at the same time. You can be religious and lost all at the same time. Here's what happens next. Verse 25. Remember, they're celebrating. The father has seen his young son come back. Verse 25, now the older son was in the field and as he came and drew near the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called out to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the son was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. In the passage, imagine the moment. Jesus is telling a parable to explain a truth about the heart of God. And we know clearly that the Father is the heart of God. That is the Father God and his heart. 
for his sons. And he's got one son that's completely rebellious, which recognizes, obviously, is representing the, the rebellious crew in the crowd. But that older son represents the Pharisees and the religious elites. They won't go in and celebrate. Why? I'll tell you why. Because this is their property now. Think about it. The older son, everything that's left, he stands to inherit. And he has had good behavior. He's always done the right thing. He's the son who never rebelled. He always followed the rules. He was still there, and he was going to do it the right way with integrity. But deep down, you know what he wanted? He wanted the father's stuff. And now it's his. That fattened calf was his calf. All the material there, it's his to inherit. And now the father's spending that on the son again? And now he's just enraged. How dare you? You've never given me what I deserve. This is what religious heart and spirit does. Religious people try to control God and gain entitlements through their behavior and their discipline. You owe me. I deserve this. You're not coming through for me. Why? Because I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. I'm the right person. I did it the right way. I have integrity. I deserve it. That also is not the heart of God. Religious people miss out on the heart of God because they're, they're, you know, they're just trying to get God's stuff in a more uh, a way of integrity where the younger son just wanted God, you know, the father's stuff. He did it in the wrong way. But both of the sons were the same. They didn't have the heart of God. I think that there are many people I've come across that, uh, you know, when you come into church and, and you hear the, the message of the gospel and it changes you, sometimes the longer you go in church, the less connected you are to people who are outside. And you start to look at people and the way they think, the way they behave, the way they vote, the way they talk, the way they post things, the way they live, and, and you can look down on them because you, you become so disconnected from that behavior that you just see them as beneath you, less than. And then on top of that, the religious spirit can come into the, you know, into the house of God and then be so disconnected from the heart of God that they wait to hear more information on a Sunday and they go to their groups and they write checks for tithing and, and they do the right things, but they don't have the heart of God. And here's what happens to them inside. They start to become calloused and judgmental. They start to be, feel like, uh, I want to get fed. You need to give me more information. Give me better information. It's all about my experience. I need to be and I need to feel a certain way. But they feel deep down distant from God. They start to feel this distance, this dryness in their relationship. They start to become an obligation to do these checkoff boxes. And they stop hearing the heart of God. In fact, those people are the least likely to share the truth of God with people who need to hear it most. They're least likely to enjoy uh, you know, trying to reach people who are far from God. They don't want to share that with others. Why? Because these people don't deserve it. That person, do you understand what they're like? Do you understand what they think like? They don't deserve the heart of God. And yet, that couldn't be further from the heart of who God is. If you miss out, you miss out on everything. I have this guy in my life who I've known for years. Uh, he came to faith at a time when many of his friends were coming to faith. Now, he was raised in church. He would have said he was a Christian his whole life. He can't remember a time when he didn't believe in God, and yet he certainly didn't have the heart of God. His friends, who were not the Christian friends, started to discover the truth of God and, and the beauty of the gospel. 
They started to realize that it was their sin that had separated them from the Father. And Jesus dies on the cross and raises you know, from the grave and calls them into relationship. They were blown away by the grace of God. And when they discovered the grace of God, it transformed their lives. So my buddy is sitting in a circle of people who are, they're all going towards God. And yet he still feels the same he's always felt. He believes, but he knows there's nothing going on in here. And he's watching all his friends just, just fall in love with the Lord and have all this fruit start to show up in their life, this transformation in their life. And he doesn't. He's like, what's wrong with me? And one day he's, he's at a baptism service and people are getting baptized and people are just celebrating. And in his heart, he feels nothing. And that's what clued him in that there was something wrong. How is it that everyone else is celebrating these people who are far from God coming to God and going public with their faith, and yet inside he doesn't care? The obligatory clap, oh, that's nice. But he doesn't feel anything. And he realized there was something wrong. And that was the moment where he started to say to God, all right, God, help me. What is this problem? It was like a blinking light on the dashboard, a warning sign. Something's off. Here's what I would say, and I think he would agree with us. You can be in the house and still lost. You see, those, those two first parables really were a picture, right? The picture of the rebel. There's one sheep that gets away. He goes away from the house, right? And the shepherd goes after him, brings him back and celebrates. That represents the rebels who turn away from the things of God, brought back into the family. But in their own house, 10 coins, and one of the coins is lost in their own house. Really representing that, yeah, these Pharisees, these religious people can have all the right behavior, be in the house, and yet still lost. But my buddy turned to the Lord, changed his life. Can I just say, wherever you're at, this is a great passage to understand. We need the heart of God, and the heart of God is not like ours. And if you're struggling to love other people, if you've been struggling with judging other people and seeing the way they behave and like, man, they deserve the wrath of God, there's something wrong. Understand, Jesus went to uh, extreme to give up his life so that they wouldn't have the wrath of God. He took the wrath of God so that they could be set free from sin, that anyone who would come to him, that's the heart of Christ, the heart of God, the Father shown through his Son, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And if you feel like, man, I don't have that same heart for people, this is the time for you to say, God, I need your heart. And if you are listening in and you feel like, you know what, I've been the rebel. I've been the one who ran away. Come to your senses and come back. Receive the grace and mercy of God. Receive his heart into your life. I, I want to share with you, I, I, love, I love this passage so much because it shows the beauty and mercy and the grace of God. I want people everywhere to know that. Uh, there was a person in our church not long ago named uh, Emily who uh, grew up in church and, uh, you know, believed in God and, you know, everything started out well, but she lost some people that she loved when she was a young, a young girl and she just struggled because no one seemed to have the answers. You know, why does God allow these things to happen? Why does God allow good people to die? And so she kind of closed her heart off to God and she kind of finished up her teenage years and when she got out of the house, she went her own direction. You know, she wasn't against God, but she just, she's like, I don't know that I want to know God. And so she just kind of went in a direction and, and, you know, she got older and she got married and she had a child and, and you know, her husband kind of brought her to church and, you know, she started to become more open and listening and hearing and um, we had a conversation and we, we talked about that wall that was up between her and God. And she, she said it all started way back then. And we talked about that. And 
you know, I explained the gospel to her, and she said, I, I need his forgiveness. I want Jesus. And I remember praying with her and watching her take that step of, of uh, receiving the grace and mercy of God, just like that young son did. Afterward, I said, hey, I want you to read Luke 15. I want you to read this and tell me what you get from it. Here's what she said to me. She said, God loves and accepts everyone. It doesn't matter how far we stray from God or how much we take for granted his promises to us. He is always happy when we come back to him and put him first in our lives. God wants us to forgive others that have hurt us, this, you know, the way that he, he forgives us for going against his word. He wants a relationship and he wants me to know him. That's the thing. She spent her life thinking, I don't know that I want to know God. Like, she didn't understand him. And she realized, wow, God actually wants me to know him. He's pursuing me. That's the heart of God. Wherever you're at today, I just want to encourage you that if you feel like you're struggling, you feel like you've strayed away from the heart of God, come back to him. If you feel like your heart's turned into this obligatory religious person, come back to him. Come back to the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you just sharpen us and shape us by your truth. Lord, teach us to have your heart. God, I pray you would transform us. Lord, help us never to turn into the Pharisee who looks at others with disdain because they can't keep up the behaviors and the disciplines that we can. God, teach us to love people the way that you do, that we would share the gospel with others with the same passion that you have. We ask all this in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. I want to say just a couple quick things. Uh, one of them is that we are doing a backpack drive where we're collecting uh, book bags or backpacks for the school system of Delaware County, and we're trying to gather 2,000 uh, book bags. So you can find online how we have that, and, uh, or you could reach out to me at edt at lifepointohio.com if you want to be involved with that. I want to thank you for those who, who give. Uh, that this, this is part of your regular attendance of our church right now as they're listening online. Uh, thank you for the way you give and support platforms like this, but also the way that we support missions and church plants around the country in here in Central Ohio. So thank you so much. You can continue to give uh, you know, through lifepointohio.com. But I want to thank you for that, and thank you for being part uh, of our service today. Till next time, God bless.